You are listening to an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org. Well, we're in between Christmas and New Year's. How many of you feel tired? Most of you, and I do too. We've had a very good week. We've enjoyed uh, having most of our family with us, and it's been a busy house and busy activity. It's been good, and, uh, but I'm tired. I, I quite honestly wished I could have slept till nine this morning, <laughs> but that wasn't going to happen. And I'm glad to be here with you this morning as we open God's Word. One of the conversations that I had uh, this week with my oldest son uh, was a conversation that uh, in part built around a paper that he wrote, and he called it a white paper. Uh, Every paper that I wrote was always on white paper, but he called it a white paper. Um, And it had to do with NATO. Now, he spent three years in Germany and uh, was deployed to Estonia uh, and Poland, uh, working with NATO forces there, helping to train them and uh, and literally being across the border uh, uh, from Russian forces. Not that battle was imminent or anything of that nature, but just letting the Russian uh, military know that uh, NATO was there and they were active and they were training. So he's had uh, that in his recent background, and part of what he did was uh, write a paper uh, concerning NATO and the Russian threat, and uh, his estimation of it as he analyzed all the different facets that he took into account was that, in essence, with the troop force and the equipment force that is present in the NATO countries, that if Russia had a mind to, they could just gear up and just roll right in and across Europe with little resistance because there's not adequate troop force, there's not uh, adequate equipment force to deal with the kind of army that the Russians have. And not that that's an imminent threat, it isn't, but uh, just giving that input on the kind of things that would be necessary to begin to build up again in that area of the world to anticipate that kind of a, of a response from Russia at some point, if it should ever happen. And uh, so I, I found that interesting. <clears throat> and uh, in that conversation, uh, I asked him if there was a growing uh, strain of thought uh, among Europeans, um, among European countries, for develop, more fully developing their military. And he said, yes, there is. Not a big, huge um, strain of thought, but it's there where it hasn't been before. And they realized that it, beginning to come to grips with, with the reality of what could happen if, if a country like Russia decided to roll into Europe. Now, I had a reason for asking him that, and, and we talked about it uh, later in the conversation. Years ago, when I was going through the book of Daniel, and you can open to Daniel chapter 2 this morning, we're going to spend a few moments together in the book of Daniel. Um, As I was preaching and teaching through the book of Daniel, uh, a realization that I came to 
uh, as it regards the nations and the shifts and the changes and the realignments that will occur among the nations as we progress closer and closer to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ and the events and the realignments that the scriptures say will take place was this, that as people change, nations change. As people change their values, their thinking, their priorities, then nations change. That is, that is the typical flow. It is a rare situation where you have a leader who comes in and enforces that kind of broad change upon a country or region or an area. Usually it's because there has been a change in the thinking of the people preceding that that lays the foundation for that. And we know from the scriptures that there's going to be an alignment of nations that at one time comprised the Roman Empire that will be the uh, nations from which this personality known in the scriptures as the Antichrist will arise and be an effective leader and be the one who leads this alignment of nations to accomplish some dramatic uh, events uh, as we come to the, the approach of our Lord's return. And Daniel speaks about that along with other authors of Scripture. So we talked about that. You know, that I, I said to him, I, I mentioned that very thing to him, that as, as the thinking of people change, then the nations will change. And as it pertains to the European body of nations, as the Europeans um, more and more change in their thinking about their own militaries, then that will lay a foundation for them to build their militaries more. But prior to that was a change that was economic. So there's, the scriptures indicate that there's going to be an economic change, a political change, and a military change. You have the economic in place, and then with that, you have a political structure that needs to be married to that on some level, to some degree, and that's in place. Uh, it needs to develop more, and it will. And then to protect the economic structure that they put in place some years ago, it's, we're not talking about NATO, we're talking about the alignment of European nations and their new currency. It's not new now, it's been there a long time. The euro and, and no borders. Used to, when you traveled to Europe, you had to have passports for all the different countries. And now you just travel freely in Europe, like you're going from state to state here. So there's been alignments and changes that have been in the process. But there's more that's yet to come. But at some point in time, when there is a sense of a threat to the economic vitality and structure of this European body of nations and the alignment that they have, they will develop a military that will be used to protect their own structure. They'll look out for their own interest. Any nation or body of nations that has that kind of a structure at some point in time will realize that they bear the responsibility for protecting themselves. Uh, they can't depend upon the United States to be there to thwart an initial attack. They can count on the United States to come in subsequent and try to repel what has happened, 
but they can't count on the entire um, American military or a sufficient number of it to be present there to do that. So at some point, there's going to be this shift in thinking. And as we come to Scripture, we see God revealing through Daniel uh, that there's going to be this flow of nations and empires uh, and significant uh, alignments that take place. And we begin in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel and uh, a number of his colleagues have been taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. They're in captivity and they're serving King Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, has a dream and he doesn't understand this dream. <clears throat> and Daniel is the one who is able to interpret this dream. So let's pick it up in chapter 2 and verse 36. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. So he says, this is what you dreamed, he told him. This is one of the stipulations that Nebuchadnezzar had. You tell me what I dreamed, and then tell me what it means. And the Babylonian wise men said, well, tell us your dream, and we'll tell you what it means. <laughs> he knew how they operated. <laughs> they said, no, no, you tell me what I dreamt, and then you can tell me the interpretation. Well, they were unable to do that, and he had started putting some of them to death, and Daniel stepped forward and said, I can do this by God's enablement. So he said, this is what you dreamed. You read that in the previous verses, and uh, this is the interpretation of it. You, O king, are king of kings, verse 37, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory, and wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. So he had a dream of this statue. The head was gold. And, and the chest, the abdominal area was silver. And the abdomen area and area was bronze. And then the legs were iron and, and the feet were iron and clay. And that's what he dreamed, and Daniel said, that's what you dreamed, and now you're, you're the head of gold. You, you are this first kingdom. But after you shall rise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another and a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the earth, all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks it in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and so shall crush all others. Whereas you saw the feet and the toes, partly of the potter's clay and partly of iron, and the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom will, shall be partly strong and partly fragile. And you, shall, and you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, and they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. So in the days of this fourth kingdom, God shall set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever." Inasmuch as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, 
and the silver and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. And so he said, you saw this massive statue, and the statue represents four kingdoms, and then there's a stone that's cut out without hands, and it smashes the kingdoms, and that is a fifth kingdom. So Daniel gives us this initial broad picture, big picture understanding of the flow of history. Four kingdoms, beginning with Babylon, and then there's three subsequent kingdoms, and then a fifth kingdom that smashes all that is represented in the previous four kingdoms. So he said, that's what you saw. Now we come to Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote the dream telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear. It was raised up <clears throat> on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its feet, teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. And so you have in, in this vision a lion, a bear. And now verse 6, And after this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all uh, the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little horn, coming up from among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots." And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. And then he goes on to say in verse 9, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. And for the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Then all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, 
which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So again you have four kingdoms represented by four beasts, four animals, and then a fifth that overthrows all that's represented in these four beasts and establishes an eternal kingdom. So he adds some other layers of information here. But it's still four kingdoms with the fifth one that's established that is eternal. So can we get any more information about this? Yes. In chapter 8. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me to Daniel after one that appeared to me the first time. I saw in the vision, and so it happened while I was looking, that I was in Sushan, the citadel, which is in the providence of Elam. That's in the area of modern-day Iraq. And I saw in the vision that I was by the river Uli. Then I lifted my eyes and saw there standing beside the river was a ram which had two horns, and two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and, and the higher one came up last. And so you have a ram, not from Los Angeles. What is a ram? It's an animal, right? But what is it? A male goat, right. Male sheep. I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward, so that no animal could withstand him, nor was there any that could deliver from his hand, but he, was, but he did according to his will and became great. As I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west. Across the surface it was a ram, a male sheep, across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground. So you have a male goat coming against a male ram, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Then he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river, and ran at him with furious power. And I saw him confronting the ram, which was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, and broke his two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him, and there's no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. So the goat with this singular horn overcomes the ram in Daniel's vision. Therefore, the male goat grew very great, but when he became strong, the large horn was broken, and in place of it four notable ones came up toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land, which is Israel. And it grew up to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host of the star, some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. So this is really an unusual dream. He even exalted himself as a high prince of, of the host, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. So who are these? Who, 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 what's represented by this? Do we have any clear indication from Scripture? The answer is yes. We drop down later in the chapter <clears throat> to verse 20. And Daniel is told this. 
The ram which you saw having the two horns, they are the kings of Media and Persia. For the kingdom that overthrew Babylon, which Daniel was still part of at this time, was a kingdom combined of two primary people groups, the Medes and the Persians. So it's referred to as the Medo-Persian Empire. And they, they conquered Babylon. So this, this ram is identified. Specifically, so historically, we can look back and see uh, and know not only when the Medes and the Persians conquered Babylon, but we know the kings, we know uh, the personalities, uh, we know the extent of the uh, reign of the Medo-Persian Empire, we know the extent of its uh, of its empire, how far it went, and we also know that it desperately tried to move into southern Europe, and they were never able to get that done because of the one who's referred to as the goat. And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. And who was that decisive personality of the kingdom of Greece that after several intense battles was that Greek leader, general, who overcame the Medes and the Persians? Who was that? Alexander the Great. You got it right, Marianne. You answered second. <laughs> and he did it quickly, just as described in the vision here. And uh, established his kingdom, but then he died suddenly, and four generals, four of his generals, took his place, and they divided this vast empire among themselves. And they, they ruled, and they warred among one another over the next couple of centuries. But the Greek empire is identified here. <coughs> As for the broken horn and the four that stood up in its place, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power. And so it's describing what became of the Greek empire after Alexander's death. And then at the end of the chapter, he says, And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterward, I arose, went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. So now we move into chapter 9. And it says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes. So now Daniel is operating in the Medo-Persian Empire, which he served who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, another name for the Babylonians. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books of the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity, meaning the Jewish people. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and judgments. So he makes a prayer of confession. As he's making this prayer of confession, another revelation is given to Daniel. <clears throat> Verse 20 of chapter 9. 
Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, meaning Israel, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, Gabriel referring to the angel Gabriel, reached, to me, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have come forth to give you skill to understand. So it's informing, understanding. It's not the mystical stuff. And that you to understand and comprehend this information. Verse 23, At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people. And who are the people of Daniel? Who are they? The Jews. For, you, for your people and your holy city. What is the holy city of the Jewish people? Jerusalem. So 70 weeks, and this refers to a total of 490 years. It's 70 sevens, literally, in the Hebrew. And as you track through this textually, each set of sevens refers to seven years. So 77-year periods totals 490 and he says, within the context of these 70 weeks or these 400, this 490-year period, he says specific things are going to be accomplished. To finish the transgression. To make an end of sins. And so in God's working, he is going to address the issue of man's transgression, of man's sin. That's important. That's vitally important to God. To make reconciliation for iniquity. To bring about reconciliation between the living God and man. To bring in everlasting righteousness. So there's that word again, righteousness. God's righteousness. And to accomplish that. To seal up vision and prophecy. And to anoint the most holy. And who would that be? Right. The most holy would be the Mashiach, the Messiah. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So uh, seven and 62 is how much? Come on, you math majors here. What? 62 and seven is how much? 69. All right. You're right, 69. So 69 of these sevens, which would be 483 years, would transpire, and the, and the clock for that would begin with the going forth of the command to, to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince shall come. Sir Robert Anderson did an excellent work in tracking this. And, and you can, we can go back and see the exact date in which this command to restore and build Jerusalem was issued during the Medo-Persian Empire. And Sir Robert Anderson took that then with the Jewish calendar and tracked from that date to the day that Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, presenting himself 
as the king, as the Messiah, and to the day. It's 483 years. That's when the Messiah, the prince, was presented. He rode into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey in fulfillment of prophecy, in fulfillment of prophecy regarding the Messiah, the king, and to the day, not within the week, not within the month, but to the day, from the issuing of that command to the arrival of Messiah on that donkey, 483 years exactly. But there's still another set, there's still another seven-year period that's within the prophecy. So 483, or 69 of those sevens, has been covered in this prophecy. There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome times. The street of Jerusalem, the street and in the walls of Jerusalem. Now, when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem, they did it in three phases. Beginning in 606 B.C. And when they first came, they, uh, they primarily just took the wealth of the city and a number of the people that lived there. The kings of Judah didn't have a whole lot of sense. And two times, two different kings, they rebelled because they got tired of paying, watch this, exorbitant taxes. It's a recurring theme in history. You, you weigh people down, a, a people down, a nation down with exorbitant taxes, and at some point they're going to push back. And that's what happened. And so they rebelled, and on the third time that they came back in 586 B.C., they took what remained of the wealth of the city, they destroyed it. They broke down the walls. They tore down the temple. Everything was destroyed. They left nothing. There's going to be no further rebellion on behalf of the Jewish kings and what was left of the Jewish population in Jerusalem. They destroyed it. By 586 B.C., Daniel was already in Babylon. And so during this 483-year period, the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome time. And you read about that in Ezra and Nehemiah. And after the 62 weeks, meaning the 7 and then the 62, total of 69, what will happen? The Messiah is going to be cut off. So it's talking specifically about the Messiah. He will be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And that's key. The Messiah shall be cut off. And when did that happen? What event was that? The crucifixion of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He was cut off. He rose again. But then it says, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. 
The temple had been rebuilt in Jerusalem. Herod, under King Herod, he had made it a spectacular facility. Taken what was done in, in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, he took it and he expanded it. It was a magnificent facility. And then in 70 A.D., the city of Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was destroyed and burned and, it's, and it hasn't been built since. Who destroyed it? The Romans. They are the people of the prince who shall come. So the people of the Roman Empire, this fourth kingdom, and the prince that shall come from this fourth kingdom, they destroyed it. The end of it shall be with the flood, and till the end of the war, desolations are determined. Now in verse 27, it's looking forward to this ultimate prince, the one known elsewhere in Scripture as the Antichrist. Now watch this. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, so this is the 70th week, this final seven-year period, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to the sacrifice, to sacrifice an offering. Sacrifice an offering by whom? Jewish people. Where? At the temple. There's only one place that sacrifice can happen, and that's in the temple, and the temple can only be in one place, and that's where? Jerusalem. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even till the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. The event that shall initiate this final seven-year period, this final set of sevens, is the, verse 27, the confirmation of a covenant with many for one week. That will be a peace treaty that will be signed and agreed to by all necessary and engaged parties. Israel, the Arab nations, and this individual will be the one who is able to bring everybody to the table and get them to actually agree on this. We've seen in our lifetime uh, at least one time when it was very close to where you had the, the leaders of the Arab countries, the, the key ones in that area around Israel, and the leader of Israel get very, very close to actually signing a peace agreement. And they didn't. That is one of the great efforts of not only American presidents, but other leaders of other nations, is to try to somehow get the nation of Israel and the countries around it to agree to some kind of a peace agreement. It hasn't happened yet, but it will happen. But it will happen under the leadership of this one who is the prince that shall come, the, uh, of the people that shall come, and uh, he will be the one who brings everybody to the table and gets them to sign 
this peace agreement. Now, he's referred to as the uh, prince of the people who shall come. And, and that fourth kingdom is identified by that as, as the Roman government, as the Roman Empire. But as we know, the Roman Empire, is, is it still in existence today? No. But according to Scripture, not this, only this passage, but other passages of Scripture, there is going to be a, a realignment of those nations that comprised the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was primarily comprised of nations from where? Europe. Not exclusively, not only, but primarily. That's what its power is based. It was in Rome. That was its capital. So as we continue to move forward, year by year, there will be, coming back to what we talked about at the very beginning of this message, there will progressively be this realignment of nations coming together, not only economically and politically, but militarily. And then eventually there will be this one who emerges from this body of nations who is able to lead them and to lead this body of nations in being that party that is able to bring everybody to the peace table and get them to sign off on this. And then in the middle of this seven-year period, he will break the covenant. And so we have the big picture here up to that point in history. There's more yet to come. The prophecies of Scripture do not terminate there. There's more to come beyond these events. But coming back to our observation, as people change, nations change. And as the people of America change in their thinking. This nation has been changing and will continue to change and will follow the body of thought embraced by each successive generation of Americans. Because the change happens as people change their thinking. Now, I'm not equating America with the European body of nation. I'm not doing that at all. But just by way of application in this country in which we live, this country will continue to change. It's inevitable. It has been changing. It will continue to change. And it doesn't mean that it's all for the bad. But you want to know where a country is going? Any country. Look at how the people are thinking. Study how people are thinking. And that is a direction of the country. And that will happen with this European body of nations. Up to this point, the European body of nations, the peoples there do not want to have big militaries. Why? Because they've been through two world wars in the previous century. 
two huge world wars with massive loss of life, with massive destruction to their cities, with massive damage to their economic systems. They don't want to see huge militaries in Europe again, but it's going to happen. That will happen as people in Europe change their thinking, and that will lay a foundation for what we read in Scripture. But you know what? Whether you are a Christian in modern-day Europe or whether we are Christians in modern, contemporary America, we're called to a new way of thinking, right? We're called to be lights in whatever culture we live in. We're called to embrace the way of thinking that God has given to us in His Word. So we don't have to be swept along with the way that any culture is moving and thinking. That's one of the, the great characteristics of, of the body of Christ in whatever generation, in whatever century it existed. It embraces the, the truths of the Word of God. It embraces the thinking of the Word of God, and it stands out. And so while our nation changes around us, that doesn't mean that we and our current generation or the successive generations, even represented here in this church, have to go with that flow. We go with the flow of Scripture. And with that, we're able to be light in a crooked and perverse generation, as Paul says to the Philippians. By embracing the thoughts of God and living the thoughts of God and thinking the thoughts of God recorded in His Word. So as we come into 2019, there is going to be change. Broadly speaking, I think anyone would just recognize that. But there's going to be continual change because this is where God is taking the nations. This is God's providential, prophetic working and moving the nations toward this ultimate end of the return of Christ to establish His kingdom on this earth to rule and reign with those who have put their faith and trust in Christ Jesus. It is moving in that direction. In 2019, you're going to see additional steps. And I'm not giving you specific prophecies here, okay? <laughs> not doing that. But we're going to see that and you're going to observe, if you're alert, continual change in the patterns of thinking, not only of people in our country, but if we're attuned to what's happening elsewhere in the world, the way people think elsewhere in the world. And that will direct us as to where things are headed. So let's commit ourselves afresh and anew as we begin 2019 to be a people of the book as Daniel was a man of the book. And be committed to our Lord, to His Word, and to embracing His Word. And just as God's thoughts are not our thoughts, let's pursue His thoughts rather than our thoughts and not get overtaken by the analysis and thoughts and spins of those who seek to provide that. But let's look at everything through the grid of Scripture. Let's bow for prayer. Father, today we thank you for this time that we've had together in your word. We thank you for what you've given us in your word. 
We thank you for these marvelous prophecies, these prophetic statements. Um, and Lord, uh, we can look back and see the fulfillment of what, was, what were prophetic statements to Daniel as it embodied uh, revelation concerning kingdoms that would come and be established. And we've seen them come and be established and exist in, in history. And <clears throat> we know of them. And yet, Father, you tell us that there is a revised fourth kingdom that is yet to make its presence known on this earth, a revised configuration of this Roman Empire, this, this body of nations that comprise the Roman Empire. And then, Father, ultimately, your kingdom, your kingdom that will uh, be established by our Lord Jesus Christ when he returns to establish his kingdom and to rule and to reign over the nations in righteousness and in truth. And Father, what great truths these are. So Father, just as we've seen the reality of fulfilled prophecy, we know that what is yet future will be fulfilled as well. Help us to be faithful servants as we observe the flow of history even as we live. <clears throat> and Father, seek to be faithful to you as we live life in this world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This has been an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org.